The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit voicesofwrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. To the highway, in a brand new day, gotta let it go. Welcome back to Open the Voice Gate for January 22nd, 2021. We are members of the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. You can find us on the Voices of Wrestling feed or on our own dedicated podcast feed on all applications and platforms. You can follow us on Twitter at Open Voice Gate. If you'd like to donate to the show, just click the link in the show notes and I'll take you to our Red Circle landing page. You click the red box that says Sponsor This Podcast and you can set up a one-time or recurring donation. No obligation whatsoever, of course, but I would like to thank our previous donors. I am your hosts, one of your hosts, rather. It, it's your old pal, and my experience joins always by Case Low. And Case, we are in the quiet time. How are you holding up? I'm still recovering from the beating that I took on the Voices of Wrestling flagship podcast last week. I don't know if you listened, Mike, but they reviewed the SFM 50 which I've been talking about openly on this show, that I was in the voting process, that I was a voter. It was decided at the last minute because of perhaps some wrestlers that didn't make the top 50 and because of maybe some fan bases that have been known to threaten to burn down people's houses that we do the gimmick where we do the anonymous names, which is very fun. It was, you know, done in a lighthearted way, but I had already outed myself as a voter. And then Rich and Joe... through an an incredible amount of shade at Dragon Gate, which you know, I'll I'll uh, I'll let it slide, but the the shots lobbed at the mysterious CL, it hurt because I love nothing more than when I get put over on the flagship when they talk about a review and how Mike and I do the best Dragon Gate coverage there is. Oh my god, I love it so much! It goes to my head immediately. The flagship burial was new. That was a new experience for me, and four days later, I'm still feeling the effects of it. I mean, I am sorry you went through that. I uh, <laughs> It's significant emotional labor, and I hope that in the time period you've been able to recenter yourself, maybe just disconnect for a little bit, you know? It, well, we're in times right now that we're all glued that you maybe 
go out for a walk. Go, go to a local cemetery and walk around and watch wrestling during your lunch breaks like I, someone. I literally, I moved into a new studio apartment. I think I've mentioned this on literally the last four podcasts I've done. I mentioned it here <laughs> last week. I mentioned it when I recorded with Alan. So it's not a new apartment at this point anymore. But I live right across the street from a cemetery. And when I was going to pick up pizza on Friday, I realized that. And I was like, oh my God, I think I might have to walk in the cemetery just to follow in the footsteps of one rich crate. So, Mike, thank you for using your therapy words for grounding me a little bit, for recentering me in this journey that we call life. I'm wondering, how are you? You know, I'm uh, sticking through it. I, of course, have my final tracksuit, a big thing in my life. This is huge. It, if you have not seen the photos, at Fujiheya on Twitter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I... Yeah, l- l- let's just say that I'm in my best, I'm living my best life at this very moment as I have this tracksuit on. I saved it for today for a full day wear, and you know what? No wonder they just wear these around everywhere. Th- th- this shit's comfy as hell, man. <laughs> now, I don't want to pry too much into your personal life because, as you know, Mike Spears, never horny, but... If you are on any dating apps, do you lead with some tracksuit photos? I think that would be a huge catch because uh, perhaps some people know about my fringe coat phase that I went through last year where in the oh, midst yeah. of a of a bad breakup, I bought a $200, 25-pound fringe coat. I will say, do I regret the purchase? Kind of. But I put that picture on dating apps. It gets responses. It is a good lead-in conversation starter. So, Mike, are you using the tracksuits to uh, your full advantage? You know, I have not been on those apps for a long time, but I think think we all know why why we should avoid those apps at this current juncture of time right now. Yes, which, yes, it's... I'm not meeting up with anybody. I What I am doing might arguably be more problematic than meeting out with somebody where I typically am having a conversation with somebody for one night and then never responding to their messages again. But sometimes I get bored and I just want to know the very basics of someone's life. I get a little lonely, Mike. You know, it's it's nice to be able to reach out to another person here and there. Yeah, yeah. But I've not put any of them on any dating profile I may or may not have. However, if if I were or were not to have a dating profile... I think maybe uh, the thing is I I have a black cowboy hat that I think would work really well with this, <laughs> but I think at that point then they just think that I'm a cokehead. <laughs> I do like the idea of somebody really liking your masquerade tracksuit, but also asking like, "Hey, what's that logo?" And then you have to explain right, international yeah. shipping fees to them and why you have this. And, and at the same time, like I'm someone that, as you know, case. I, I don't collect a whole lot of things, but I do collect some Dragon Gate and Torimon memorabilia. I just like that kind of stuff. It's like my thing. I always make sure each year to get a program. I I have t-shirts of Crazy Max and of Monster Express hanging up in my office. I keep it very partitioned. That is not a lead-off first conversation that I think anyone should have with a future partner. So I keep that like partitioned in a way. So I would not be prepared whatsoever for uh, what is uh, Dragon Gate Pro Wrestling, all one word. Yes, with no spaces whatsoever. Yeah, that it's not it's not something I like talking about in my real life. Every once in a while, it comes out that like, oh, Case, you like that wrestling thing, right? And then, you know, I'm Mike, I'm a natural conversationalist. So that conversation will spiral, but it always ends up 
I, I go too far. I go too deep into that conversation. And then they start asking questions and then I go, ah, I don't really want to talk about it. It's kind of, it's my own thing. And then they go, oh, it's really weird. You handled this situation very poorly. <laughs> and I say, I know it happens every time. Yeah. Uh, it, 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 it's something that like, I keep it all in my office. I don't keep memorabilia around my house. Like that was what I was trying to say. Like, Hey, keep it partitioned. And I keep that kind of thing partitioned as well. My, like my personal life versus podcasting or whatever I, I like having barriers i believe in boundaries and that's also why i'm never publicly horny online and that is what you are known for best of course yeah uh, of one Sp- thing speaking of think- being publicly horny online take conti on AEW dark right now i'll leave that there and we will because that's not the subject <laughs> today's show <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so if you all haven't been able to pick up on the last eight minutes, there was no Dragon Gate shows this last week. We the next show is their double shot in Fukuoka. No card as of the time we're recording it, but we do have some stuff that we're going to be talking about today, Case. We have the debut of Dragon Gate Future. We have the Kyushu Pro Tag Team title match that is a nice little bookend to that Kobe Sambo Hall show earlier this month. And then we're going to look into the network a little bit, guys. So I think we, we, we'll have something. This is going to be a short episode, guys. Just you probably already saw it by downloading going, oh, yeah, what what do these two uh, knuckleheads do for 30 to 45 minutes? Well, we've already talked about tracksuits on dating apps and just the, the idea of barriers between public and private life. So I would argue the most the like the most perverted thing we're doing on this episode is is doing a, a wrestling podcast about four trainees and a Kyushu Pro Tag Team title match. That content is disgusting, and <laughs> I'm kind of glad we're doing it. This is going to be a fun episode. Yeah, no, I'm stoked for this, So, and and, and we'll get more into that there. I will say that this Kyushu Pro Tag Team uh, title match was better shot than about 85% of the indies that come out of Japan. I was going to ask you about the camera work. That's very funny that you brought that up, because they used... It would be like if an ECW fan cam was shot today. It was just a yeah. cam from the floor, but it was not Gabe shooting on a VHS camera. It was like a nice HD camera, and I thought it looked really nice. I was impressed with the production of one Kaishu Pro. Yeah, let, let's talk about that first. I mean, that's not true thing. Yeah, because Kaishu Pro, on the 17th, they had a show in Fukuoka that Ginky Horikuchi and Susumi Yokosuka defended their tag team titles and then got on a bullet train for two hours is a very precarious situation but yeah it was shot well first and foremost and something that i don't think a lot of people realize with these ott services most of them if not all are in 720p they shot on a 1080p camera for kyushu pro case well yeah because you it was just uploaded to youtube so uh, youtube has 1080p accessibility don't they I think they actually have up to 8K if you were so dirty to want that. My God, I don't think I knew 8K existed. Oh, yeah. I, I actually got to see one of the first public demos of 8K. And let me tell you this. That's a bizarre you, you, flex. <laughs> another lifetime ago, okay? It's, yeah. I, I, I was not much younger than you are right now. I went to NAB, which I know that you know what NAB is, but for our listeners, National Association of Broadcasts, it's basically a giant uh, broadcasting convention where they show off a whole lot of tech. And I got to see one of the first public trials of AK television. Let me tell you, your brain can't comprehend when you see something that good. 
Yeah, that that sounds like almost too much. I don't know. I'm still holding out for a 3D TV to make a return. I got really into that when it was a thing about 10 years ago, and I, <laughs> I was disappointed to see the decline of it. That and Avatar? The only See, thing that I've, ever I've came never out seen there. Avatar like that because I don't like movies for the most part because my complaint is that they're too long and Avatar I think was super long. I just I can't I can't make that investment. Like Casino is one of the best movies ever made, but I can I watched that once. I can't watch it again. I can't make myself sit down for three hours and watch something that isn't exclusively professional wrestling. So I, I've never seen the Avatar. I have no interest. I, I don't. I don't like movies like that. <laughs> that that that's fair. That's fair. And uh, and of course, like we we lived through kind of like an Avatar resurgence or reassessment of Avatar a couple months ago. So of just people saying like, oh, like this movie is one of the highest grossing films of all time, but it seems not culturally relevant in the slightest. But in the same way, it's incredibly culturally relevant. How so? Because if you think about like the life we're living right now and in 2020, it, it's frankly, considering that at one time it was the most highest grossing movie of all time, you can make a read into it that uh, Cameron was making a very anti-capitalist message with that movie. <laughs> Look, save that for everything elite. Can, can you say, was Avatar what bad bunny is to music right now where bad bunny was supposedly the number one most streamed artist in the world last year but i don't know a bad bunny song i mean i mean that's reggaeton so uh, i i i think there's more of a q score with people knowing who bad bunny is but it's much bigger in certain communities whereas avatar i mean Everyone loved Avatar. I, 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 I'm certain it, it, it's a movie that appealed across all four quadrants there. I mean, you had 3D, you had a love story, an anti-capitalist message. I mean, it made sense why there was a resurgence there. I brushed that anti-capitalist message off too quick. I am all for it. I just don't have the wits <laughs> to eloquently speak on it. I, I just want to reaffirm that stance there. But talking about being eloquent about it, I know you you have some opinions because you watch a bit more Kyushu Pro than I do whenever they pop up. What were your thoughts about this tag team title match? It was, I think I only said the Dragon Gate team, it's the Kyushu Pro tag team champions, Susumu Ginki, against Billy King Kid and Alejandro. What were your thoughts of this match? I like the match a lot. I like the presentation. It's on YouTube, and we'll throw a link in the podcast description so you guys can easily find it. It is much more digestible than you know watching and i'm just gonna throw a promotion under the bus just because but like a just tap out single cam show in differ ariake or something like that's kind of numbing to watch but this was again the hd camera on the floor with a venue in fukuoka that i thought looked much better than the current Dragon Gate venue in Fukuoka. I did some amateur Google map work, and I believe the venues are about an hour away from where Dragon Gate runs to where this show happened. Obviously, if somebody, uh, one of our, our Japanese listeners uh, knows better, feel free to correct me, but I believe the, the venues are an hour away apart. I wouldn't hate seeing Drangate shift in their direction and maybe go towards this venue, I because I think Yushu proclaimed they got 500 people in this building, which... Even if that's slightly inflated for COVID numbers, that's, you know, better than what Drangate is going to be able to do in the Akros Fukuoka venue. So from a presentation standpoint, everything looked great. 
I'm a big Billy Ken Kid fan, and I really liked Alejandro, who was a Wrestle 1 guy who also happened to wrestle on some of the OWE Japan shows last year, I guess two years ago now, 2019. So Alejandro, an incredible political power player in the world of Japanese wrestling. But I thought this match was a lot of fun. This was a nice touring, very good, not great tag team title match. Yeah, I mean, like, the person that, that kind of, like, sticks out to you is Alejandro, because he apparently is a Fukuoka guy, so it makes sense that he showed up on this. This is a guy that, boy, when you look at, like, where, where he's appeared and where he showed up to, really, over the last few years, it's really been in that, heavily in that World 1 axis. He, now here's a fun thing, the the 10 days later, uh, uh, Alejandro had a match against the Stronghearts team of Shima and Shigehiro Irie. So, I love it. I I love that he is the only one blurring lines at this point in the Cold War between Shima and Dragon Gate. Yeah, but I thought he came off like a star. I thought like he uh, acquitted himself well, especially against like Susumu and Kinki. Like they were doing their things, but and they knew this was a big show, so it wasn't like they were complete overdrive as. Or, or they were just on cruise control, for a better analogy there. But he came off really well. Uh, Billy King Kid, I mean, for a guy his age, I thought he looked solid. I'm I'm a longtime Billy King Kid fan. Like, he's someone that, like, whenever I've watched some of the old Osaka, and especially even, like, getting to the later Osaka Pro, I've always greatly enjoyed him. And, you know, it's just, like, it, it's a nice kind of... Uh, it's a nice kind of way to see the people in the company apart from Dragon Gate proper, especially for someone like Ginky Horiguchi and Sumi Yokosuka, who, you know, now they are Triangle Gate champions there. That They have been a part of stuff over the last year, but they still weren't, like, primary players. But it was nice seeing them in this format. And, I mean, Ginky Horiguchi's uh, outfits and stuff are even more wild than 1080p. So make sure you check that out, and you can listen to episodes one last time. Yeah, I don't know if it's fair to say this was like a TV match or something like a TV equivalent of a, of a Twin Gate match. There was something that was just interesting about it, given that it didn't have the same intensity as, say, if this match obviously happened in a Cork and Hall or even the Dragon Gate Fukuoka venue. I think just uh, moving past Dragon Gate for this specific match, it gave a unique feel to this that I, I kind of think is worth checking out in a weird way. If you, if you care about following the promotion, you're somebody that, you know, obviously listens to this show and is inclined not only to watch the Cork and Hall shows and the big shows that happen every few months, but if you're someone that's, that's dipping in for a Kobe Samba Hall, or you really like the Hakaida triple shot from a month and a half ago at this point, almost two months ago, I, I would I would watch this match. It's like 15 minutes. Billy Kincaid, like Mike said, very good for his age. And Alejandro is a guy who, if a miracle happened and he was dropped into the middle of the Dragon Gate roster tomorrow, I think he'd be a middle-of-the-pack to lower-tier worker, but I don't think he'd embarrass himself ever. I think he's a, a nice little wrestler, and I thought he came across very well on this match. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I went three and a quarter on this. Like, this was a fun match. Like, it's 13 minutes. It's I worth was at checking three and a out. half, so, yeah, I, I think I, you know, liked it a hair more than you. But just just fun, low stakes, but still felt like an appropriate title match. It, it was just very well done. Genki Horiguchi, such a pro. 
Yeah, like Ginky did most of the selling for the Dragon Gate team. Alejandro naturally did most of the selling for the Challenger team, and it just came together to be a very satisfying TV match. I think you hit the nail on the head with that case. Up in the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We hype ourselves up thinking, ah, maybe I can pull a Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card. But with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view of all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now, when I buy Slab Packs at Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. I was able to open an Arena Club slab pack, and and I'll be honest, it was a lot better than what you normally do. Say you go to a card show, and there's a random innocuous brown bag of cards, and yeah, you can open it, and look, it's going to be junk. You're, you, you know what I mean? Like You know what you're probably going to get in those. Maybe you find that fun, and sometimes I do. Sometimes I like just opening up cards and saying, oh, hey, look at some random cards or whatever. But if you're really in this game to, to find value and find particular cards, it sucks to have to buy these mystery packs, and it ends up being, you know, almost nothing. You know, nothing of value. Not with Arena Club. You can display, again, of all available cards, hit rates, grading, so you know that when you're opening up the slab pack, you are going to get something valuable. You are getting something good. And Arena Club, in addition to having those great slab packs we just talked about, is also a marketplace for card collecting, buying, trading, selling, displaying, all that sort of stuff. But those Arena Club slab packs, man, they are revolutionizing the repack game with transparency. After your polls are revealed, they'll immediately be placed in your vault for safekeeping or trading and selling, and you can have them officially graded by Arena Club as well. So again, setting these things off, it's going to be officially graded by Arena Club. And the Arena Club grading process is accurate, fast, and transparent with full grade rationale provided and explanation of how your card was scored. So whether you're buying, selling, trading, or displaying, Arena Club is the card collecting platform that you have to check out. So right now, I've got a special offer here for Voices of Wrestling Network listeners. You can get 10% off of your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash V-O-W net. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W net. Now, that's a crazy offer. That's 10% off a $400 slab pack. $40 off right there. 10% off your first purchase. No matter what that purchase is, 10% off again that's arena club.com slash vow net arena club.com slash vow net for 10 percent off your first purchase on arena club and we thank them for sponsoring the voices of wrestling podcast network the future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly but then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about that's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Now let's get into futures. Or future, sorry, no, no S at the end of it. Yeah, that. hashtag Dragon Gate Future again, all caps, no spaces. <laughs> <laughs> so this is something that they announced at the tail end of last year, because of how COVID has affected things. Lapis Hall, you just can't really run Lapis Hall right now. Well, four fans, so, <laughs> so, and that was a place that Dragon Gate for new listeners and newer fans. That was 
where they would film Prime Zone, but Prime Zone is kind of just like its own thing. We've talked a lot about the Shisa specials on Prime Zone, but one of the bigger things about doing these Lapis Hall shows where this is where all the rookies go and wrestle monthly, and usually it's a five or ten minute match, but it's one of the things that this is where they go before they start making their official debut. These are it's called exhibitions in Dragon Gate, but those are gone, and those have been gone now for it'll be a year in February, but they had to incur and they had to start something new. I know we talked about it, Kay. It's like how much fun it would be if they would be able to do like a next show at Basement Monstar. Well, that's not happening. Instead of what is, is they're doing uh, occasional Dragon Gate Future matches, which are five-minute exhibitions. And the first time we've seen Dragon Gate wrestlers, with the exception of Masahiro Inoue, and plain black tights, but, you know, Dragon Gate has have their own kind of spin on things. One, they always make sure that one's wearing green, one is wearing black, and, yeah, these tights are kind of wild. Like, that's the first thing I think everyone's eyes drawn towards, right? Yeah, but I, I, I like them not as full-time gear but for trainees like these guys i am all for it yeah so like the the thing is is that one leg is longer than the other we had two matches here and you know each of them went to five minute draw this is from the december 27th so last year's farewell show they had the first batch of these and the four i guess we'll call them class of 2021 unless we unless they debut later or sooner the the four that we saw were takuma uh fujiwara riki Ihashi, Ishin Ihashi, and Takumi uh, Hajikawa, and we got to see two five-minute matches. The uh, the Ihashis were both wearing green, and the, I think I assume they're related. I mean that that's not a common. Yes, they are. They are the sons of former war wrestler Koji Ishin Riki. So we are seeing second-generation talent really? in Dragon Gate. Yes. Koji Ishinriki, that is not a name I've seen and or heard of in a while. So I, I'm right I now looking. I Ishinriki, and what I saw was one war handheld match, and I believe that's all that's out there for him, at least at the moment. I mean, that's cool though. Uh, it's very cool. But it's something that you know his sons are picking up on that. Uh, I guess like, what's your takeaway and what's your thoughts of this project? Because I feel like it's kind of hard to talk about the content of the matches themselves because they aren't really Dragon Gate matches. They're just exhibitions. But would you, what were your thoughts like coming into this and then coming out of it? And if you had any anyone who really stuck out to you in this uh, first edition of Future? Yeah, so I'll make a few different points here. One being that I love the concept. I hope we get more of these. I don't know how many kids are in the dojo right now because our dojo correspondent is not currently in Japan. But... It should also be noted that these are kids that have been in the dojo, or I guess came into the dojo rather during COVID, because Larry Dallas, who you know works for Drangate, when he's there, lives with the kids in the dojo, tweeted out, "I don't know who these kids are," and and Larry was very close with you know Kabune and Kamei, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, while he was in Japan, uh, he talks very fondly about his time with them in the dojo. He did not know who these kids were, so these are kids that are, you know, possibly six months into their career. I don't know the exact timeline of when they would have begun their training to their debut, but we're talking about less than a year, and they've only wrestled in a COVID environment, whether it is in the dojo or on this show. I hope we see more of this stuff. I thought this was super fun. It's super simple. I mean, the the full video was like 12 minutes. It's two five-minute exhibitions. 
and a little promo at the beginning and a little promo at the end. This is the sort of stuff that even moving away from COVID, I hope they continue to upload to the network. I think this is the sort of stuff that, you know, I'm going to subscribe to the Dragon Gate Network one way or another. But while I'm subscribing, this is the type of stuff that I would like to see them add more of. And I thought the matches were super fun. In particular, the first match on the file, that is Takuma Fujiwara versus Riki Ihashi, it's hard to say it was the better of the two matches because we were essentially watching two guys spar. I mean, it was classic, almost New Japan-style young boy grappling for five minutes. But I liked what I saw from them, just sort of basic instincts, projecting charisma, that sort of thing. But, I mean, God, it's hard to complain about something like this. This was a really enjoyable watch. And another thing that... that does not matter, but I will mention it, is that until we have their official debut, we have never counted exhibition matches towards uh, Gate's Wrestling Observer Newsletter Rookie of the Year contendership. So as of right now, these are pure exhibition matches. They have not made their official debut. It's why La Estrella, if to, to unmask him for a second, was not eligible for the awards in 2020, but will be eligible in 2021. That's a distinction probably four people care about, but I thought I would at least make it clear. Well, I mean, it's also a thing, like when you think about someone like Pancho Managa, who was in the, <laughs> the dojo forever. Like you could go in, if you pull up a cachet of iHeartGG, you can go like see him in matches in 2006. Like it, it, it's something that really... It, it's something that the promotion has like an idea of when when they have their official debut it will be something that everyone will know so this is just nice to see like if there's someone that might have a, a lot of size like i thought like that three of the guys looked like that they were pretty sizable and then just to see like there's any like things that they look a little natural with i would say like the person that actually i thought was interesting that you liked that first one a bit more than i did because i came away being really impressed with ishin ihashi out of the four of them like i'm not gonna like call any of them my guy yet that's completely a disservice to them and their development but i came away with like him and he had some pretty tight grappling and it seemed like that he was getting the better of it uh, to my knowledge these are actually like shoots for five minutes that's awesome that if that is true that is that is awesome and now i really want to see more of these i i i heard like this i'm not uh, like this is a i should have used my theory words i believe these are shoots i believe these are shoots the the thing about ishinihashi and again it's very very early to give him a comparison but from the five minutes of footage that we had he kind of reminded me of a bigger l lindemann Mm -hmm. yeah that, like that was the thing, especially with like his the way he would pop his hips in the takedowns. Yeah, and his opponent was Takumi Hayakawa, who was the smallest of the bunch. But if you look at his picture, I'm looking at it right now. That is a wide dude. Like he can mm-hmm. put some muscle on. So I I like it. Again, I can only look at this as a positive. It was five minutes. We have no idea where these guys' careers are gonna go, are going to go. You know, for all we know, they could never make their official debut an injury. They lose their passion, whatever it is. But we have the the content on the Dragon Gate Network. It was very fun. I highly recommend watching it if you have not seen it. Yeah, and it gave us something to talk about (laughs) for this week's update. So it was a cool thing to do and something to keep track of. I mean, 
it's just like a neat thing that usually like I would hear stories about these next matches, especially with the class of 2020. Like they were having some insane next matches at the end of 2019 where they would just be chopping the crap out of each other. And we've seen that kind of carry on here. And looks like we've got another set of four heavy hitters to say the very least. I, I did look up uh, Koji Ishinriki while, while you were talking there, Case. Yes. He is a former sumo, which is something that interests some people. Uh, his highest rank was Juro Jurio 1, which is the highest rank anyone could have and not be on the top tier. Not be a, a not being a Meishira, not be someone that can go for Yokozuna. It's like the next tier down. It's still considered professional, but it's like that step down. So like he had a pretty long cl- career. He did sumo for 12 years. And he was a grinder for that time. So that so. sumo ranking, is that like being an NBA all-star but not making the all-NBA team? Um, A little bit. That That's probably the closest comparison you can make for North American. It's the the best way to describe it, at least if you if you were to ask me, is it, it's like in the promotion and relegation system that you'll see in sports throughout the world outside North America. Like the idea of someone who's not able to make it to the top top of the table but they're able to be level two basically gotcha like like they're pro but they're not like the pro in a way so and and i mean 12 doing it for 12 years is kind of ridiculous and he's someone that like spent it took him a while to grind that and fun thing fun fact about him did war uh sws uh, Pro Wrestling Crusaders and IWA Japan. So I would imagine if he was an SWS guy and a war guy, he has to have some sort of relationship with Tenru, which is interesting. I mean, you know, we're at this point, we're doing the It's Always Sunny gif where, where Charlie's drawing points to things that don't entirely add up. But if he's got a Tenru connection... Uh, maybe he's got a Fuji connection of some sort. Maybe that's how the kids got in there. But it's very exciting to me that there's second generation wrestlers in Dragon Gate now. That's something that I don't, I don't think they've had on the roster at all. I can't think of anybody whose dad was a wrestler at some other point that's now in Dragon Gate. Not to my knowledge. Uh, well, I guess there's Strong a Machine J. Strong Machine J, yeah, duh, duh. yeah, Strong <laughs> please, Machine J. Please don't tweet at us. We, we figured that out before you could tweet it at us. <laughs> yeah, if you tweet at me, that's an instant mute. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's interesting because you have someone like UT and Kaido Ishida who are people that you could see in crowds in their hometown shows. Like, you could point them out when they were kids watching these shows, but you have this, you have, like, this pair of kids now whose dad did, worked in the same promotions as Ultimo Dragon, Misaki Mochizuki, and then did IWA Japan, which is a nuts promotion, and Pro Wrestling Crusaders, which, Case, do you know what Pro Wrestling Crusaders is the predecessor of? Is I, No, I don't. DDT. Oh, I did not know that. Yeah, so if you really, and this is one of those things that I know I've talked with, like, Robin Reed and John Carroll about this, and we find this fascinating. If you want to, like, see, like, how, like, these branches of wrestling happened... The number two and number three promotions in the company both can point their lineage all the way back to SWS. Because you had Pro Wrestling Crusaders one side, and then you had WAR on the other side, and the, and all their derivatives kind of spurn out, and the two that really are left in any sort of dominance are DDT and Dragon Gate. As it should be. The number two and number three promotions, Dragon Gate and DDT, in that order. 
yeah so that 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 was a nice little like look down memory road i'm looking at other stuff that uh koji shinriki did uh he apparently had his retirement in uh oh he's wrestling 2019 but he wrestles for like oh boy (laughs) i'm exiting this out because there's some of these things that it's the lands uh close your blinds in the backyard he has wrestled for secret base though in the last three years so i'm looking at ishin ricky's cage match right now and there is a show from january 5th 1994 at the osaka prefectural gymnasium it's a war show where he wrestles ultimo dragon for the uwa world middleweight title and on that show, there is a Mil Mascaris match, and the main event is Tenru and Koki Katihara against El Samurai and Muto, which means that show had to have made tape. I need to track down that match. Oh, yeah, this show absolutely had to. I'm, I'm looking at the rest of this. Uh, Norman Smiley versus M- Masao Orihara. Yes, That's uh, Crazy Max alumni Norman Smiley. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Mil Mascaris versus Peroth Jr. That's going to be... Real rough. And then Great Kabuki versus Nubukazu Harai. Which, okay. So (laughs) it's funny. We're going to eventually, it'll probably come out very shortly after this podcast comes out. Mike and I are doing a show with Alan Forrell over at the Torch where we're going to be talking about greatest wrestler ever through the lens of the Dragon system. I want to briefly have a war conversation with you because... Yeah, let's get at it. I... Like, in my war footage, which I've seen a lot of, I love it. Like, it's a super fun promotion just with the random six-man tags and just the incredible just cluster of talent with, you know, Lance Storm wrestling, Masaki Mochizuki, etc. But outside of the war versus New Japan stuff, which is primarily 92 and 93, and I guess it goes into 94, which all of that stuff is excellent. It's top-notch New Japan heavyweight wrestling. I started to think, like, are there that many good war matches out there? Like, I watched this promotion and have fun, but I was really struggling to think of, like, oh, yes, that great war match that happened. Well, I mean, it has the Ultimo Jericho match. Yeah, and I and I think that stuff holds up really well. I mean, Super J-Cup 95 was technically one of their events, and that has the Ray mm-hmm. Jr. Psychosis match that might be my favorite singles match they've ever had just because it it was kind of just a touring match. It reminded me of that Zack Sabre Jr. versus Will Ospreay match at Evolve in Dallas WrestleMania weekend, where I think people were aware of them in the audience, but maybe hadn't seen what they were capable of. And then it was like, oh, we have two new stars right here. And I I really wish we would have gotten a lot of Ray Jr. in Japan in the 90s, but that did not happen. Yeah, war is a weird thing because there's so many different things going on with it and there's so many things that you're just like, oh, this is going to be miserable. I'm not going to bother with this, you know? But it, it's something where, like, the shows in general, it's just, like, you watch it and you're like, okay, this was, like, a good time, you know? Like, it, 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 there's worse wrestling to go back and watch than pro wrestling war. I mean, it has both wrestle and romance, two of my favorite tropes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's, again, like, I love watching the promotion, but I started to think of, like, what are my favorite war matches and it was like the brief run that Fujinami had there, and then all of the Tenru versus New Japan stuff. There's a Tenru versus Hashimoto singles match that is incredible. I think that's from June of 93. But I started to think, like, what's the other good stuff there? I know it exists, but I, I couldn't think of it. And 
just because of the weird state that Mochizuki was in, still being connected to Koji Katao at that point, Mochizuki doesn't really have a chance to have many great matches, although you can clearly see that the guy is talented, and once he ends up in Torimon, which we can talk about in just a second, he clearly hits the ground running. But I, I do at some point, probably post-Greatest Wrestler Ever, which Alan and I are looking at updating our ballots in mid-April for anybody that is following along, I, I might have to do a deep war rewatch because I'm very confused by my thoughts on this promotion now. Yeah, it's kind of hard to uh, grapple with. And it's one of the ones that, like, a lot of that stuff in the 90s, and, and when you get outside of all Japan and New Japan, and then, you, of course, you had, like, Michinoku Pro, you had FMW. But when you get, like, outside of, like like, the big stuff, there is some wild stuff happening that's, like, people who got brought in i mean we were just talking about a guy who was a former sumo wrestler that ended up having an off and on 20 i mean he had a wrestling match in 2019 even though his wikipedia page says he retired so i mean it's interesting and it's kind of hard to place into like historical context you know how big i am about like i'm gonna look at this thing through the guise of how it should be looked at versus what 2021 eyes are because I don't, I don't know if there's a, a promotion that you can really compare it to, and I don't know what lineage you can draw from it unless you want to go, and I think it's an insult to war because I think they are much better than your Ricky Pros and your World Japans and your Onita Pros in sort of the first garbage vanity indie promotion, but I don't think that's what war was, but... Because of the booking, because of the town involved, and just because of the overall feel of the promotion, it does weirdly stand by itself. And because of Ultimo, Fuji, Mochizuki, and and Genki, who was a Tenru attendee, it weirdly has a lot of roots to the Dragon system, which I just don't think people realize, at least on paper. Yeah, and I mean, Tenru even did stuff in Dragon Gate for a while. And was and when he wasn't wrestling Magnum Tokyo, which was often, but when he <laughs> got away from Magnum, was very, very fun. Yeah, and then, like, it's not just Mochizuki. It's the entirety of Koji Katao's students, because you have Taru came from there, uh, Choco Flake came from there, and then, of course, Okamura was a member of, of what's called Buko Dojo. So, I mean, like, the direct lineage, like, it does have its weird place because of all the Choshu promotions and all the Tenryu promotions, you kind of have to like look at it like a guise of, well, the Japan economy was at a certain state where people were just making insane investments on things or they were cleaning up money. So like you have to look at that context, but I mean, WAR, I mean, it's immediate successor is Torimon. And anyone who tries to argue that otherwise, just point to the last minute of audio I just laid on, oh, that we just laid on you. Bizarre. I did not expect to take this turn, but I'm glad we did. <laughs> I, I I mean, it's a light week. It, it was this and us talking about stuff on the network. And the neat thing about the network is that they kind of have ramped up a lot of different things over the last uh, few months. And nothing more so than their director's cuts and where they're getting on with the uh, Toriumon and the overall Dragon System history. Yeah, so there was a lot on the network. And I, I never really know what to do in terms of this show and a lot of the content on the Dragon Gate network, it just, you know, Mike and I have been doing the Dragon Gate USA rewatch. And then other than that, you know, again, most weeks since 
the the empty arena shows in April of last year, most weeks there's been a Dragon Gate show. So we haven't been able to spend a lot of time on the network, but it should be noted there there are two things that I wanted to mention to people that to make sure that they are aware that this is going on. One being they are now doing a series on the network called Director's Cuts, and this is great for the people that like Drangate, want to follow it, but every once in a while there's a show that you just don't get to before they expire and are removed from the network. So for the past few months, they've been doing what they call Director's Cuts, which have primarily been matches in Kyoto, in Sapporo, uh, they've been doing some, in, like, some of Naruki Doi's best matches have been featured in this. They've kind of dug into the archives for that sort of stuff. But they now have these director's cuts matches on there. They're all no commentary, but they are multi-camera shoots, whereas when they air on the Gate Network, they are single cam. And I want to specifically mention that they have three different matches from the December 5th uh, Hokkaido Triple Shot Weekend. And the big one there is the main event, which I quickly need to scramble to find what that was. That was Dragon Daya, Jason Lee, Coach Minora, and Shun Skywalker. This was Masquerade before they had their colors or their gimmick against Ben K, KZ, Yamato, and Yosuke Santa Maria. That match just got re-upped to the Dragon Gate Network, and I thought that was one of the best matches they put on in 2020. Uh, there's a bunch of fun stuff in there. They uploaded a Punch versus Akuta singles match from that weekend. The Yoshino <laughs> and Kamei versus Eita and Hyo match, which I would at least refresh your memory because I think that Yoshino and Kamei partnership, assuming Yoshino is healthy, is going to play a big part into the stories in the first half of 2021. So it's not ideal. I wish they were throwing some Cork and Hall matches on there or just some other stuff, but they are doing a better job of restocking the pond and making sure that the subscribers can watch the essential stuff even after the full show is pulled from the network. Yeah, because, and this is a good uh, kind of preamble to the network for people who are new to it, there is a seven-day video-on-demand period, then it goes away for whenever it goes and they air it terrestrially. When they air it terrestrially, it's what's called Infinity. They always will have full production, a full commentary, but the thing is that now these full infinities, they edit and they, I think it's down to two hours now. They, they take a full show and go down to two hours. So some stuff will get left on the wayside and it's neat to see these things. I I mean, the first match of Punch, Tomonaka, no Kuda's ongoing feud is a wild one. And it's just neat that they're doing this. I think that's something that, you know, with, with how everything is going with the network and how, they're kind of forced into the system that this is what's going to be. This is what's been like in a few years. I don't see that changing. I think this is like a nice and necessary thing for them to do. I'm down for it. Yeah, I'm all for it. And and like I said, if you did not get a chance, because that was that was a weekend where they had three shows in a weekend, and then I think there was a Cork and Hall right after that, and Final Gate was coming up. So it, it, it got lost in the pile, but I highly, highly recommend checking out that December 5th main event if you have not seen it. Again, it was Dragon Daya, Jason Lee, Coach Minora, and Shun Skywalker against Ben K, KZ, Yamato, and Yosuke Santa Maria. So seven of the, you know, seven of the eight guys there are top players in Dragon Gate, and Maria is able to hold her own. She was in serious Maria mode in that match. Yeah, and if you're looking for these things and you're watching the, or you're listening to this episode later, if you go to the top menu 
and you click the menu button in the top right hand corner they have a bunch of they have a bunch of columns one of them will say matches it is the third from the bottom on the left you would click that and then then that's where also you'll find dragon gate future by the way so they have all of that kind of in one category also has just stuff like dating back to kyoto they have the main event from nuruki toys homecoming show and nara and then just it, it seems to be like mostly like this is a newer thing it seems to be mostly stuff that they've been putting up recently and then that nuruki doi series so pretty rad stuff but case one of the big shows in Toriyon history just finally they finally got to the point where it's been uploaded to the network we have the year and 2001 episode of almost amigos yeah so Again, I, I've struggled to figure out a way to incorporate this content into the show, but it should be noted for people that maybe aren't aware of it that at this point on the Dragon Gate Network, all of 1999, 2000, and now 2001 are up on the Dragon Gate Network in pristine, crystal clear quality footage. And this show that they just uploaded is. It's I like I don't even know if there is a great match on this show, but it is weirdly one of the most essential Toriyamon shows there is. It's the debut of Super Shisa. There is a Ryo Saito versus the newly turned heel Genki Horiguchi NWA welterweight title match. If you just if you love weird wrestling matches, the British Commonwealth Junior Heavyweight <laughs> title match between Magnum Tokyo and Ricky Marvin. I believe this was the last time Ricky Marvin appeared in Toriumon. That match certainly exists. And then the main event is the big hair versus hair lumberjack match between Shima and Masaki Mochizuki. So there's this show, which I guess, Mike, briefly, I, I kind of want to know your thoughts on this show because, you know, we talk a lot, but we've never talked about this show. Yeah, this is one of the more important touchstones in Torimon history because this was, in a lot of ways, the uh, real conclusion of Crazy Max versus M2K. Of course, Shimo was ahead of Crazy Max, Masaki Mochizuki ahead of M2K, and this hair versus hair match kind of, like, set the stage for what's going to be happening in 2002. Like, this is something where, like, even back then, they liked finishing the uh, the year. And since it's 20, almost 20 years ago, 19 years ago, uh, it, it, it's such a thing where, like, Masaki Mochizuki loses this. This is Shima's best singles match to this point. Probably Masaki Mochizuki, outside of the three-way tags, one of his best matches of his career to this point. And after that, you have Masaki Mochizuki turning face. You have the whole M2K to do fixer storyline that takes up most of 2002. And then you have like Shima turning uh, crazy max towards the, uh, the T2P class. So like, it, it's a super important thing. Um, heel Ginky versus Rio Saito. Those two had like such a history with that, that I think this is one of the uh, stronger ones of that time period. And then, I mean, Ricky Marvin versus uh, Magnum Tokyo. Um, if you're someone who has never seen Magnum Tokyo, that's not a match that you should start off your deep dive into Magnum Tokyo with. But if you're a sicko like us, it's a Magnum Tokyo match against Ricky Marvin. It, it goes to some places. It's much longer than it needs to be. Well, yes, that is pretty much every Magnum Tokyo match, which isn't even a dig at him. He just always had a habit of going really long, which, you know there are guys that can get away with it. And I wouldn't say that Magnum Tokyo was one of those guys. No, no. But 
the the archive at this point is really vast and i don't want to throw out too many specific recommendations if you've never really dug into what's on there feel free to tweet at us at open voice gate and ask for some recommendations i know at least i will point you in the right direction of some stuff to watch but just to perhaps jog some people's memories or to get people curious as to what's on there and what's to come in the immediate future Stuff that's complete on the network you can watch in full. You have the Sua versus Dragon Kid feud in 1999 and 2000. If you've never seen Sua's run in Toriumon, he was a major player. I, it's hard to explain like how good Sua was in 1999 and 2000 in particular. That stuff is essential viewing. In 2000, you have the formation of M2K, and they were doing a gimmick in 2000, the double ring-out committee, where they were intentionally having main events end in double count-out finishes. It's a, it was a very, very divisive thing. I kind of love it. I think it's yeah. super entertaining. I know there are people that do not feel the same way, and they hated it at the time, and they hate it now. I really liked it. Uh, the Bicycle Brother stuff with Fuji and Saito, that stuff is underway at this point. You have, like Mike said, really the entirety of M2K versus Crazy Max between 2000 and 2001. And that's what Toriumon was built off of. Like, it's weird when you watch the first year of the promotion, Crazy Max is still in existence. They formed in 1998, a year before Toriumon landed in Japan. But... Just 1999 feels a little bit disjointed. They mm-hmm. don't entirely know what they are yet, but once M2K gets formed, everything makes sense. And you see foundations that were set there are still prevalent in the promotion today. You have stuff like the first cage match, which we talked about. That was September of 2001. Uh, stuff like August 14th, 2001, Fuji, Shima, and Sua versus Dragon Kid, Magnum Tokyo, and Ryo Saito versus Darkness Dragon, Masaki Mochizuki, and Yasushi Kanda, that, that nine-man tag match. I, I mean, uh, my mind was blown the first time I watched that match. That is now up on the network. So, again, I don't know how well we've really highlighted what's up there, but at this point, that network has been around long enough to where that Toriumon archive is really vast, and even if you're not loving the current direction of the promotion... Uh, that archive, at least for a little bit, is probably worth a subscription just to explore what's there, not to mention what's to come next, which is T2B versus Toriumon Japan, which ends with the Absolute Demente show in September of 2002, which is one of the best things ever. I think next month, when that next set of TV drops, we are going to get the January T2P show, which has the main event, best two out of three falls, six-man tag. It's Mori, Saito, and Yagi versus Yoshino Milano and Stevie Sujimoto, uh, uh, which is brother Yashi, which is probably my pick for my favorite T2P match. So yeah. there's, there's just a lot of stuff in the pipeline. 2002 is is one of those definitive years. I think we talk on this show a lot about 2005, 2011, and 2015 being these hallmark years for Dragon Gate. If you want to look at Torimon, if you're ever going to sit down and watch a year from start to finish, it's probably 2002. It's certainly not 2003. So this is a good time to jump on board if you're on the fence about subscribing with all the new content plus the archive. I think it's a good value. Yeah, absolutely. Some some things that I wanted to point out that Case did not mention. It's it's one of those things. I think there are now up to about 30 episodes of, of Vomitus Amigos, which was their monthly television program. 
uh, they have the first part or the first rendition of uh, Bicycle Brothers, which is one of my favorite things. If you if you wonder why Don Fuji is the way he is, he's been that way for a long time, and you can watch that with this here. And then you talked about Absolute Mente. There is some stuff from Absolute Mente already up on the network, but it's my favorite period of the Torimon era was T2P versus uh, Torimon Japan. And if there's dead months, I'll probably like pull up something like, hey, case, let's talk about this because it's something worth talking about. But yeah, no, the network's really kind of come along. It, it's in, definitely in a different place than where it was when it was first founded. And, you know, the, the one thing, penning back on my archivist hat, no one has done what Dragon Gate has done with these old footage because everyone, when they would be getting stuff from tape traders or watch stuff online, it's stuff that's either second or third generation content. It's something that has been interlaced, delaced, and everything like this. They have the original tapes. They're like one of the few promotions that have their entire library. So this is all from the original masters, which is wild. Yeah, it's it's a tremendous value. Even if you've seen this stuff, and, I, and I'm a little bit behind, I, I typically do a good job of of watching just whatever they put up immediately. I'm a few months behind at this point. So I'm going to sit down on a Saturday and just kind of go through all of this footage again, because a lot of it I've seen, maybe not all in order at this point, because yeah, I just a very scattered brain. I kind of pick and choose what I watch, but it's, there's a charm to watching this stuff in crystal clear footage instead of a grainy, a digitally transferred VHS file, which is how I would have seen it in the past. And, and I'll throw this out here as well. I I mean, I assume most people that listen to this are at least aware, if not listening to the Drangit USA series that we're doing, where Mike and I are very brave. We are reviewing every Drangit USA show in existence. We're um, almost done. We have six episodes remaining, and Mike and I have talked a lot about what kind of our next historical project is, and I think we have some good ideas, but we would like to hear from you guys, or at least I would, if you have any ideas of... I don't know, just what you want Mike and I to cover as it relates to the Dragon system, please tweet at us at OpenVoiceGate and let us know. I would I would like to hear if there's at least any strong contenders from the listener base as to what project they would like Mike and I to tackle next, because we will be continuing, uh, at least in the, in the immediate future, to be doing the weekly updates and the historical update as well. Absolutely, yeah, just send us a note. Uh, I was looking at WAR things while you were just talking there, Case, and <laughs> let me let, let me lay this uh, the final. I just go final four matches of this show. This is the Revolution Rumble, uh, nineteen ninety four, and Ria Goku, uh, Koko I always miss up around. Say it's at Sumo Hall. Sorry, I uh, look. I, I can't believe people just don't say Sumo Hall. It's the only Sumo way Hall. I'll ever refer to it. Koku Gigan. There we go. I mostly didn't butcher here, but let me talk about everything that the, the, the last four m- matches and, and take us out on this. The first one, Super Strong Machine defeating Lionheart in 8 minutes and 11 seconds. Next one, King Haku defeating Mr. Hughes in 10 minutes and 36 seconds. The, the semi-main event, Gochi Katao defeats Ishin Riki by knockout in 4 minutes. <laughs> and then the main event, Onida and Goto defeating Ashirahara and Jinichiro Tenru in 18 minutes. Look, I typically have a pretty strong no Onita viewing policy because I understand that he's charismatic, but I think Onita is, is more often than not a just an awful professional wrestler. That card intrigues me, though. There is a lot that we can sink our teeth into there. Well, well I was being nice. And I didn't tell you that there was an Arashi versus Samson Fuyuki, a five-round match that goes to a time limit draw. I would check that out out of morbid curiosity. <laughs> 
they had an immediate rematch that uh, Fuyuki won in a minute 30. I, I don't mind a little Fuyuki. I, I'm okay with that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's no footloose, but you do what you do, right? Yeah, exactly. It's, it's not one of the greatest tag team matches of all time that he just happens <laughs> to be in a few of, but it's all right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, if we don't hear from you, we will be watching. I'll be finding this tape and making Case run, re- watch Revolution Rumble 94, even though there's only eh, technically five people on the show that have strong Dragon System links. I mean, it does open with Jado and Gato, and they were Twin Gate champions at one point. Well, look, I think there are five wrestlers that have a legitimate stake in being the greatest wrestler of all time, and Tenru is one of them. I wrote a Tenru retrospective piece on Voices of Wrestling uh, this past spring, literally just because someone asked me to. I did a, <laughs> a Saruta mem- memorial piece, and somebody in the comments said, this is great, I'd love one on Tenru, and I was like, well not really doing anything right now i guess i could do that too uh Tendru, i think is one of the five best wrestlers of all time i think there's a legitimate case that he's the best wrestler of all time but i'm never going to complain about watching more of his footage no that that's totally fair i mean he's in my top 15 right now yes as i'm figuring out my first one and that'll be something we will talk about with alan in the near future but okay so that we were going to go short on this one we're still at an hour man come on we're kings of content mike we can't help it we are kings of content. I will agree with you on that. Uh, anything else you want to hit on before we get out of here? Uh, I'll briefly plug my own stuff. Uh, I'm assuming this episode is going to come out on Thursday like it typically does, which means there will be a, uh, my other podcast, the Archical Alms Podcast. I did an episode with John Hernandez, who was one of our Dragon Gate contributors over at VoicesOfWrestling.com, and John was a hilarious guest, and I, I recommend people... If you if you want to hear our opinions on Rancid and Cheryl Crow, that is the episode for you. I mean, that the, I, I'm trying to think of two acts that would have been more of a dichotomy than Rancid <laughs> yeah. and Cheryl Crow. M- maybe Shania Twain in NWA. Maybe I, I love the Cheryl Crow. I'll give my take right now. I I think that woman is is so incredibly talented. But John and I had a good conversation. John is an awesome person who helps us out. Uh, primarily with the Drangate previews and does a tremendous job there. So I want to give John a shout out. Yeah, absolutely. And I know you did something in, in my other neck of the woods this week as well. I was on the Everything Elite Patreon. Those are my favorite shows to do. I love when I hop behind the paywall. I really let loose. I go no holds barred there. And I did a show with Aaron Bentley. We also talked about music. We talked about tough guy hardcore. If you don't know what that is, it is angry white people that are angry for no good reason. And they are doing a lot of yelling about respect and loyalty and the crew. I love that kind of music. I think Aaron and I had a very realistic conversation about its place in society. Some of the funniest straight edge t-shirts we've seen, uh, perhaps some straight edge tattoos that Aaron Bentley has. It's a very fun conversation. If you are not already an Everything Elite Patreon subscriber, I would recommend it. Yep, absolutely. And y'all know where to find me. I do this and I do EE and I do Patreon stuff. I do... I, I, I tried to count up how many shows I did last year, Case, and then I, I reached a certain point that I got real depressed and, and lay down for a minute. I am not going to count because I feel typically <laughs> very good about what I do on this podcast. I have a lot of fun with you, and I would hate to think of the time uh, that I've spent doing this because I just, I, you know, I have it in a, in a compartment in my brain where it says this is good, this is fun, you should be doing this, and that is where I'm going to leave it. Yeah, let's leave it there and not bring it up on dating apps. But <laughs> that'll do it for this week's update. Hey, there'll be a there'll be an actual Dragon Gate to review next week as they will be going 
to Fukuoka for a double shot on Sunday the 31st. You can follow Case underscore in your case. You can follow me at Fujiheya. You can follow the podcast at Open the Voice Gate. That'll do it for this. This time we'll catch you next week on Open the Voice Gate. Take care.